are listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. Elder Law Answers is the leading provider of web-based practice development tools for elder law attorneys. We help firms reach clients with tools designed by elder law attorneys for elder law attorneys. I'm Rebecca Hobbs, the National Director of Elder Law Answers and a practicing elder law attorney in the Philadelphia area. In each episode of Elder Law Answers for Attorneys, we will chat with leading experts in the field of elder law, marketing, and practice development. Welcome. Today, I am continuing my discussion with Mark Worthington on the SECURE Act. If you missed our past episode, make sure you go back and listen to episode 1119, where we discuss the SECURE Act and some background um, on the SECURE Act. So Mark is Senior Counsel at Special Needs Law Group of Massachusetts, and he practices exclusively in special needs advocacy and planning, estate planning, and elder law. Mark received his JD from Northeastern University School of Law and his LLM in taxation from Boston University School of Law. Um, He is a regular speaker on these topics and has presented um, on the SECURE Act with NALA. He speaks regularly with the ABA, the ALICLE, Suffolk University Law School. He's spoken at Pennsylvania State University, Dickinson School of Law, and many others. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss this important topic. Thank you. So, in our in our last podcast, we kind of left off talking about planning with minors. It was like um, cliffhanger. <laughs> and we left a cliffhanger, yeah, on what to do and, you know, how the SECURE Act changes, but we as elder law attorneys and estate planning attorneys need to be aware of when we're planning with retirement assets for, you know, a couple or for a family that may have children that are under the age of 18. Um, so maybe you could just pick up where we left off and just kind of explain what we should be aware of. Sure. So uh, minor children, if you ha- if there are minor children that, that you're planning for. The way to get – you can get the stretch until they turn 18. There's this rule called the separate accounts rule, and there's two separate accounts rule, and the one that we care about is the separate accounts rule for for required minimum distributions. So the old separate accounts rule pre-secure, and I will get to the minors here. This may sound like a ridiculous digression, but it's not. The rule was that if you are going to to have separate – Uh, computations for required minimum distributions for different beneficiaries, you had to make that division or that distinction at the death beneficiary level of the retirement plan. So if I had kids A, B, and C, and and A was, you know, like 20 years older than child C, and it really made a difference to me, I really wanted to use child C's life expectancy for child C's third of the retirement plan, if that's how how I was dividing it up then I needed to individually name them at the death beneficiary level in order to get that done. If instead I named a revocable trust as the death beneficiary of the retirement plan, then even though the revocable trust said immediately upon my death, divide into you know separate thirds, you know separate trusts for A, B, and C, I was stuck with using the, assuming that I had done a conduit trust or an accumulation trust or whatever and, and otherwise done things right the life expected the 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 eight the, the the measuring life that i had to use was the oldest of those three a and so i could not use c's life expectancy for c's third of that retirement plan so the secure act um interfered with that because we pointed it out in our in our issues brief so the secure act says 
if you if you name say a revocable trust, it didn't use those terms, uh, but if you name a, revo- a revocable trust, and let's say C uh, is your special needs beneficiary, and it's going to uh, 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 C is going to uh, have a special needs trust that qualifies for the lifetime uh, payout. It says that you can use the separate accounts for RMD rules at that division within the RLT so that the typical kids, A and B, um, are treated as one share, one separate account for RMD purposes. And the SNIT for C, whether it's embedded in the RLT or if it's a separate standalone SNT, it doesn't matter, uh, that gets to use its own rule uh, for uh, uh, for, for required minimum distribution. So this was really big for people like me who, who strongly believe in using the revocable trust as the centerpiece, the, the place where all assets are funneled after death and then split out amongst kids and wherever else it's going. So that's one thing. Now, but notice that the, my, the, 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 the typical children don't Within them, they don't get separate accounts treatment. So we still have the same issue. So let's say you didn't have a special needs trust. Uh, all you had was you know, three typical kids, A, B, and C, and A is 20 years older than, than C. And you're really bumming here because you, know, you want to be able to, you know, how, do, how do I do this? So the only way that you can get this done and use the life expectancy of each of those kids. In fact, let's not make A 20 years old. Let's make A, B, and C ages um, 10, 5, and 0, okay? C is a newborn. And you want to be able to use the life expectancy of each one of them. Well, the way that you're going to have to do it is, number one, you're going to need a conduit trust for each one of them. Why? Because if you have an accumulation trust, you have to look not only at the, uh, under the regulations, because the regulations didn't get repealed except to the extent that they conflict with the SECURE Act. You, you need to look at, quote, all of the beneficiaries of that trust. So if you have an accumulation trust for the zero-year-old kid, right, what do we have? Well, we have remaindermen, right? We have the possible, if we have, we can accumulate retirement distributions and they could get paid out to somebody else later on. So we need an accumulation, excuse me, we need a, 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 a conduit trust so that we do not have to consider anybody younger, or excuse me, we don't have to consider any remaindermen. Now we can only focus on that one child, the zero-year-old for the zero-year-old, the five-year-old, you know, for each one. But how do we get that done? Well, we don't have a separate accounts rule at the RLT level for the typicals. We only have it at the uh, retirement plan level. So what you need to do is you need to have, you can still have the trust written into the body of the RLT. You don't have to have separate trust for each kid as a standalone trust. But what you do is at the, at the, uh, at, at the retirement plan level, you have to say the trust under my revocable trust for a, you know, at section blah, 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 or whatever. You have, to, you have to break it out at the retirement plan level. If you do that, each one of the kids can use a life expectancy distribution. Actually, the trust for the kids can use a life expectancy distribution until each one of the kids turns 18. If they hit eight, when they hit 18, it flips. And now it all has to come out by the time they're 28. It flips and you can actually stop minimum distributions, but it all has to come out of the plan by the time they're 28. So that's the minor kid. In a situation where somebody does not name the beneficiary properly. So let's say they just put to the revocable living trust 
and you have the situation with the three the three children, what would happen in that situation? It depends on how you've structured it. So if you've if you've designed it as a conduit trust, which I my my seat of the pants well not seat of the pants my 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 estimation is probably conduit trusts are still the most common um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 way that, that that trusts are structured out there for retirement plans. But um, if you have a conduit trust and you have all minor children, when the oldest one hits 18, you're done. And okay. now, now you flip to the 10 year rule. So if you had a, if you started off life, you know, with a, say a 15 year old and a zero year old, um, three years later, when the zero year old is three, now everything has to come out of the plan by the time that the youngest one hits 13. But wait, there's more. So <laughs> I should do television commercials. So <laughs> where, where, where do we want to go next? We can, um, so I've talked about the separate accounts rule. I've talked right. about the minors. Now, if you've got, let's say that, that you're planning for somebody and all of the, all the kids uh, are, uh, are, are grown. Okay. You know, I think probably the best thing to do is still what I've always been doing, which is an accumulation trust. Um, it gives some flexibility. It, 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 um, at least for 10 years, you can kind of sort of figure out what you want to do. Um, if, if, one of the kids during those 10 years goes through some sort of horrifying, you know, trauma, like a bankruptcy or a divorce or something, at least, you know, you've got, you've, you've got the flexibility and you never have to distribute it if you don't want to, if you're, if, if, if paying the, if, if paying the 37% tax rate on trust is, is a better alternative, then you get to do that. Right. Um, so I, I, I think accumulation trusts are best. Um, one thing that uh, acquires an increased attractiveness uh, over uh, planning that, um, that that well, I mean, this has always had some attraction, but um, is 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 a a, a multi generational uh, pot trust. So that um, you know, like if, if you've got a, gr- a grown child um, and they have children and blah blah blah, well. Now, if, if they're all current beneficiaries and you have an accumulation trust, um, each year you can spit out uh, some uh, uh, some distributions and and and, and spread out the uh, the income tax liability, spread out the DNI over uh, uh, the income tax liability over multiple people instead of just having one beneficiary to look at. We didn't really finish talking about S&Ts and how those are going to work. So I know right. we now, talked generally about some of the changes, but we didn't really delve into the specifics of how we should be drafting our trust differently. Right. So an S&T, uh, now in, 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 in my practice here, uh, uh, not just mine, I mean, in, in this law firm, Special Needs Law Group of Massachusetts, it may give you a clue as to our, our typical clientele. Our by far most common plan mm-hmm. uh, is is parents planning for a special needs child and frequently uh, for other children at the same time. So this topic is very interesting to me. Um, now the SNT, um, the the real issue there is that um, the modified Secure Act, the, the one that became law, says, okay, tell you what we're going to do, despite the regulations. We're gonna. We're the Congress. We get to override regulations if we feel like it, and we feel like it. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, besides overriding that separate accounts rule, which was also a regulation thing, um, here's what we're gonna do. 
you can have an accumulation trust <clears throat> for a disabled or chronically ill person. Even though the regulations say that you have to look at all the people who could possibly take a distribution uh, or uh, take retirement money, you, you know, even if it was withdrawn from a plan years ago, if, if, if the trust is distributing it now, they count, right? And we have to count them uh, if, if they're not disabled or, or chronically ill, then, you know, like you don't qualify. So what they said was, if all of the beneficiaries, so this has to be immediately at the death of the of the retirement plan owner, if all the beneficiaries of the S&T, and they don't actually use the word special needs trust or anything, if, if all the beneficiaries of the trust for the uh, for a disabled or, or chronically ill person, if all of them are disabled or chronically ill, then, you know, as long as that condition persists, then, you know, like you get to use lifetime uh, distributions. Now, though, some open questions are, are the following. Um, is all we care about that they're disabled or chronically ill uh, as of the date of death of the retirement plan owner? Or what happens if this, if, if somebody becomes not chronically ill um, later on. It's not clear. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of different ways to read it. Um, but, uh, for the most part, I mean, the planning that we're doing are for people who we don't expect to become non-disabled, uh, at any point. Um, we expect this to be a permanent condition for them. So we're not that concerned about it, but we need to be looking at it going forward. But once, once they die, then you flip to the, to the, 10-year rule or possibly five-year rule. That's another area we're not entirely sure of. And another area of controversy is, do you have, do the remaindermen of the SNT all have to be, quote, designated beneficiaries, meaning individuals with a life expectancy that we can ascertain and blah, 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 or are we free of that? So that's another issue. But the main thing that you need to know when writing your SNT is that you have to be careful. You know, most of us, you know, you know, you know, if we write a D4A trust, we have to be very careful that it's a, you know, sole benefit. And I still say sole benefit, even after the April 30th, 2018 uh, changes to the palms, which kind of loosened it a little bit. I still, you know, it's really just got to be for sole benefit. But even in, in a D4A, you're allowed to have a little bit of incidental benefit here and there with a with an S, a third party S&T that you're using that you want to have lifetime uh, uh, RMDs, I tighten that down hard um, and just absolutely restrict any kinds of benefit to anybody else of any kind uh, from uh, fr from the retirement plan accumulations. Mm -hmm. um, now, what that means is like a, a frequently an SNT will say, Oh, you know, you, you can you can benefit the special needs beneficiaries kids too if if you think that that's a good idea. Or hey, you know what the the the, the guardian or the person that my uh, my my special needs child is living with, um, there may be some reasons to that 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 it makes sense to benefit them. Maybe they need to put an addition on their home or a uh, you know some accommodations that might actually increase the value of their home. And hey, that's okay because it's helping out my kid. You gotta, you gotta tamp that down. Um, I, I, I think that if if you have any possibility of anybody being construed as an additional beneficiary, you've killed your lifetime distributions. Now we may get regulations that loosen that up, but until then, I would be very, very restrictive 
And you can segregate the retirement plans. You can have a single S&T and say, oh, yeah, you can benefit uh, 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 children of the disabled person and so on like that, but not with retirement plans and retirement plan accumulations. Now, maybe you can touch, you mentioned briefly, you know, where you're planning with a parent that has a child with a disability. Um, But what about in those situations where you have a disabled beneficiary that was named as a, you know, a beneficiary of a retirement account and no advanced planning had been done. So now we're looking at potentially a first party special needs trust, which you mentioned briefly. Are there any rules that address that beneficiary moving that money into a first party special needs trust? No. And the SECURE Act doesn't purport to do that. Um, Everything that we know, which is not much, about um, a an inherited IRA being moved into a D4A trust and the consequences of it are already out there. And, and they're not really great. We have, um, and it's, it's been, it's probably been a few years, like not that many, but a, a, you know, maybe three or so years since I've delved into this, but we have at least one PLR that's a private letter ruling from the IRS that says, um, that you can uh, the, you can take an inherited IRA and move it, and and the disabled person can move that uh, that inherited IRA intact into the in, into that individual's D4A trust, <clears throat> and you're good. Uh, and if that continues to hold, then it would seem to me that you would be able to continue to have the lifetime distributions. Uh, our lifetime RMDs just as uh, because this was a disabled person that inherited the plan and that was already provided for in the uh, May uh, 2019 version of the SECURE Act and, and still would hold. Um, on the other hand, we had a, a PLR written by the exact same uh, uh, Treasury employee uh, a few years later where it was a not an inherited IRA. Uh, but it was the, the, the disabled person, it was their own original IRA, and they wanted to move it to a D4A. And the, 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 this private letter ruling says, well, <laughs> that's different. This is a taxable event. I, I, I promise you there was exactly zero logic or reasoning behind either PLR. Um, and it just really was quite appalling that there should be that kind of a difference. That's everything that I think I know and, about the question you just asked. The biggest problem is even if you are utterly convinced that you fall within that first PLR and you have no worries that, oh, well, PLR only applies to that taxpayer and doesn't apply to me and I can't use it as precedence. Even if you are totally confident in this, you have big problems. Um, You probably ought to go get your own PLR, which costs a lot of money. Um, not only in filing fees, but in, in, uh, in, in, in legal fees to, to put that together. But then, um, from what I think I've seen, you can, you can get your PLR and go waving it around in front of the, um, IRA custodian or whoever, and they're going to say, well, that's a, that's a really fine looking PLR there you have from the IRS. Um, but you know, like go to court and get an order, order me to make this transfer. And with those two pieces of paper, now I'll do it. So there's a lot, the IRA has to be worth a lot of money uh, to, to, to 
go through all that instead of just saying, you know what, I give up and I'm either going to just lose my public benefits because they're not that important or I'm going to flush the thing and, uh, and pay the tax and move it to the, to the D4A. Okay. So looking at what we've covered, which we've covered a lot, um, in the time we've had, is there anything else that you think we should focus on? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about adult non-disabled beneficiaries, but any other tips that you have, um, for us as elder law attorneys and estate planning attorneys planning now under this new act? Um, I'm, I'm, positive that I'm forgetting something critically important because that's just what I do. But the one thing that, that does occur to me is, <clears throat> so th- there are a lot of, of things that people talk about, ways to to deal with this and, and very fact specific or, or case specific. So, you know, remember if you've got like a 50,000 IRA that's in question, um, you know, if that comes out over five or 10 years, right. that's not so bad, right? And, and maybe you don't worry about this stuff. Um, another one is uh, considering the possibility of using life insurance um, to uh, replace some of the, uh, you know, like maybe you want the life insurance to go to some problematic beneficiaries or trust for them rather, and the IRA to go outright to some other. I, but there's a lot of different things, and there's a lot of uh, webinars and so forth out there that are that have a, a number of, of good suggestions and interesting suggestions about what to do. I think. Really what's come to the fore and what I'm really emphasizing to clients now Hmm. um, is Roth IRAs, Uh, Rothing or or in in Roth 401k, et cetera. Um, Rothing fixes so many problems for S&Ts, right? Because you don't have to take anything out until you die. Um, And then after you die, if it goes to an S&T, it gets the stretch. There's never any tax that that, that has to be paid at, at these ridiculous trust tax rates. I mean, it is awesome. Roth, Roth to to Roth to a an SNT is like the most one of the most phenomenal, awesome uh, tax plays you can make. Now, obviously, some clients it's going to be horrifying to try to Roth anything mm-hmm. if they're a really high tax bracket right now, etc. So you know, there's a lot of factors to consider, but it really needs to come to the forefront. Also, one thing that I've started to do. Um, is I've written uh, into our revocable trust allocation clauses. And we have several different options for what to do in there. But uh, again, because our, our way more than 50% of, of our planning that we're doing is for parents with uh, a, one or more special needs children and typical children. So the RLT um, will allocate... And you have to be careful how you do this. It needs to be on a fractional basis so you don't make the IRS nuts. But uh, a fractional allocation, even including 100%, of the Roth IRAs that are passing through the, the, the trust go to okay. the special needs trust. <clears throat> at le- I mean, at least up until the special needs trust is fully funded. So you're right. So if, if you've got, a, you know, three kids and they're each getting a third and the SNTs, so the SNTs getting a third, then, you know, you say, well, the first thing that, it, first thing we're going to allocate to the, to the SNT is um, uh, sufficient amount of a fractional, a sufficient fraction of the Roth IRAs to fully fund the SNT. Oh, and by the way, if that's not enough, and then you go on from there. And the real issue that you need to think about is not that one, because I just like, the Roth always goes to the S&T in, in my book. Uh, 
is now what do you do with the conventional retirement plan, the traditional retirement plans? And do you preferentially allocate them to the S&T to get the stretch? Or do you preferentially allocate them to the other kids because they're not saddled with the trust income tax rates, um, et cetera? So that one's a tough one. So Roth, Roth, Roth is my, my big thing now. Well, Mark, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for all of this really helpful information. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you and have a question for you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, just wire a lot of money to – no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, and so the email address is mworthington, W-S-O-M, like in Mark, W-O-R-T-H-I-N-G-T-O-N at specialneeds-law.com. Well, thank you all for listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share it with a friend or a colleague. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and find all the past episodes at podcast.elderlawanswers.com. See you next time.